Hello, I'm Michael Watson, joined by Robert Stilson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Over the past few years, conservatives have begun to push back against the powerful environmental, social, and corporate governance, or ESG investing, movement. Helping lead that charge has been today's guest, Will Hild of Consumers Research. Uh, Will, before we begin, could you tell our listeners about your work at Consumers Research? Yeah, absolutely. So Consumers Research is the nation's oldest consumer protection organization, founded in 1929. <clears throat> I came on about three years ago to lead the organization, and part of our main focus, or I'd say our main focus, is um, pushing back against this ESG so-called investing movement, which is really just a stocking horse for, for large asset managers and other financial institutions to push politics into the market. So what is ESG? What, what is ESG? For, I mean, we've had, we've had a couple, like, you know, we've had, before he... Became a uh, became before he became a politician. We had Vikramaswamy on to talk about his book. We had Stephen Suckup on a couple times. But for our, our listeners, maybe newer listeners, what is ESG? Certainly. So it's billed by its supporters as a, just another style of investing, similar to you know Warren Buffett, for example, is famous for for value investing. Our momentum investors are things that are going up, and they buy more of them. They sell things when they're going down. In truth, ESG really has very little to investing, what it is, is an excuse for large asset managers, banks, and sometimes even insurers to uh, inject far-left radical politics into the way they're managing and using other people's money. And it's even in situations where, you know, ESG isn't on the label of the product being bought or sold, the ESG phenomenon is is kind of larger than that. Let me give you a concrete example. So there are funds that that... Uh, uh, say, you know, ESG fund, like ESG energy fund, for example, might invest you know, more in wind and solar, for example. As a percentage of the overall phenomenon of ESG, that's very small, maybe, you know, 5%, 6%. What we see uh, even more alarmingly is this phenomenon of large asset managers in particular using all of their assets under management, even in other non-ESG funds. So take, for example, the, the firm BlackRock, uh, which we've done a lot of work on. They have an I, they're called the iShares S&P 500 Index Fund. It's probably the most vanilla investment you could possibly make. It's just the, you know, that's buying the S&P, you know, shares in the 500 companies that make up the S&P 500. There's not supposed to be any ESG involved in that, even in the BlackRock version of, of the index. However... BlackRock uses the exclusive ESG sort of phenomenon to push far left progressive political agendas in corporate boardrooms using the assets in that fund and every other fund that they own. This is this is the proxy voting thing. Well, it's it's partially proxy voting, but there's other ways in which they're able to use those shares. So, for example, uh, BlackRock brags about the thousands of what they call corporate engagements that they do. Well, that, what they mean by that is they pick up the phone or they have a meeting with the executives or boards of directors of the companies where they ha- hold I, so I, many I own five, I own 5% of your company. Please listen to me. Right, exactly. And while they could theoretically do this, you know, you know, whether regardless of how many shares that they own, the fact that they own such a high percentage 
forces corporate boards and corporate C-suites to listen to them um, in ways that they would not. If you know, they, if they just owned one share of all these companies, they, they really wouldn't care what Larry Fink, uh, CEO of BlackRock, had to say. But because they have aggregated, they've hoovered up all these state, local, and federal pension funds, uh, university endowments, 401ks, other people's money. Let's be clear. They're using other people's money. They can pick up the phone and call the board of directors at you know Chevron or Exxon or uh, Google, um, and those those folks really have to let listen and pay attention because even before there's a shareholder proposal, even absent a shareholder proposal, mm-hmm. they have the power to, to depending on how many shares they control, hire and fire members of the boards of directors of these companies, which trickles down into hiring and firing the the C-suite. So. It's effectively BlackRock in many ways is, is the, I'm the boss of these companies of so many of, of, of corporate America, even though, you know, he's not, it's not because they have their own money. They're using other people's money to push the political agenda and money in particular that sh- really shouldn't be politicized. It's not, you know, if, if George Soros wanted to give his money to Larry and say, hey, do as you will with it. That's one thing. Uh, I might disagree with the politics, but at least he's using his own money. This is money that's coming from state, local and federal pension funds. This should not be being used to push policy in the corporate boardroom. It should be focused on return. Uh, Robert, you've written on, on some of the ESG stuff. What are your, what are your thoughts on what Will's, Will said? Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, like in your experience, it seems to me like, so you've got the corporations, right? That, that might be adopting some sort of ESG policy, but then upstream from them is the asset managers. Like we're talking about BlackRock and then perhaps even upstream from BlackRock in some cases might be like a, like an activist, like a like a like an ESG type activist. Do you have a sense of if this is being driven by the asset managers, by the corporations, by the by the activists, or is it some combination of, of all of them who who have sort of like come together to make this? And happen? I'm gonna and I'm gonna jump in and add another and add another layer. Um, some of the you know you mentioned pension funds. A lot of that is controlled by politicians, politicians who may answer to things like government worker unions. Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> so uh, you're right. There are uh, funds that do want, or at least support to want, uh, their funds to be used in a, in a political manner. Take, for example, the uh, California state pension funds, Calsters and, and CalPERS. Both of those, the, the trustees, have adopted a very far-left political agenda. Now, there's some questions as to whether that in and of itself is a violation of their fiduciary duty, because it's not their money either. They're, that money belongs to uh, uh, pensioners uh, who it's supposed to be providing a, a good retirement for. But take for a moment, put that aside. They have adopted a, a far left progressive agenda. They want their their the assets in the Calsters and Calpers to be used to push that agenda. But they've gone a step farther than that, which is to say that they will not, they have, as a matter of policy, said we will not use an asset manager who doesn't promise through membership in a few different groups like uh, Climate Action 100 and the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, we will not use an asset manager who doesn't promise to use all of their assets under management to push this same progressive far left agenda. So what that means in, 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 in pragmatic terms, is let's say you want to become a, a client or a vendor, for, excuse me, for, for managing California pension funds. You have to agree. Let's say your other clients are Arizona and Florida and you know, Texas and South Carolina, North Carolina. You have to agree to use all of the assets you're managing for those states as well to push California's politics. 
Now, that's not an excuse for these companies doing it. You go to a lawyer and you say, hey, listen, I'll give you a bribe if you sell out the interest of your other clients. And the lawyer agrees to that. The fact that you tried to bribe, the fact that you bribed him is not going to save his bacon when he's up before uh, getting disbarred. It's illegal to do that, and it should be. Uh, so I don't want to be clear. I'm not defending BlackRock or any of the other asset managers who agreed to this. But they are absolutely being incentivized at some level to do this by Cal- California pension funds. A lot of European sovereign wealth funds, for example, the Norwegian uh, sovereign wealth fund that has over a trillion dollars in it, has the same policy. So if you look at some of the largest pools of capital, single pools of capital in the world, think of the top 20, I think 19 are actually government bodies, either pension funds or sovereign wealth funds. And they absolutely have a political agenda because they're, they're arms of the state. And so when, when we see some of this stuff being pushed, absolutely, there, there are uh, pools of capital out there that have been politicized in an improper way. And they are, even worse, they are, they are incentivizing, bribing effectively the, other as- the asset managers to politicize other pools of capital that should, that, that, that in violation of their fiduciary duty to these other clients. Yeah, I guess it seems to me like even if um, you know you're an ordinary person, an ordinary American, why would you worry about this? Well, it seems even if you're not an investor or you're not worried about that aspect of it, like it seems to me like the core objective of a lot of this ESG is really it's furthering substantive public policy, except it's being done through the the private corporate sector, right? And like there's a concerning argument of how, that that's sort of undemocratic. Like you take the, you take the E, take the E energy part of it, the environmental energy part of it. Like if you're pushing, you know, emissions restrictions and you're trying to reduce Americans access to traditional energy sources, oil and gas, you know, that's something that's going to affect everybody. Everybody uses. I mean, I mean, we just saw this a couple of weeks ago with Toyota where was it BlackRock? Uh, and I think it was Calster's, wanted, you know, launched a shareholder revolt against the chairman of Toyota because the chairman of Toyota had the, uh, had the good sense to continue make, to continue, uh, constructing Toyota's hybrid vehicles that they've been making for, I think at this point, like 20 years now that a lot of people like, uh, you know, that have, you know, much greater, you know, they, they combine the efficiency of an electric car with the convenience of a gasoline car and people like them. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of these pension funds went after, went after, uh, went, a- went after the chairman of Toyota because he wasn't all in on battery electric vehicles. It's a, yeah, they failed. But... It's like a, it's a substantive public policy, you know, decision that's being made, but it's not being done through our public institutions. And I think that's a, I think that's a huge issue. You know, this is the sort of decision you would want to go through your elected representatives, not, not, the, not the corporate boardrooms that are controlled. You know, they have their sphere of a proper sphere of, of influence and, and proper, proper pursuits, you know, wealth creation, but not substantive, you know, emissions policy. That, that's entirely correct. The, the net effect of this is that it basically bypasses the ballot box. It's incredibly undemocratic, and it sets U.S. environmental policy, trade policy, social policy uh, completely you know, by a bunch of Wall Street fat cats uh, who really have, never have to face an election, never have to face an electorate. Um, they, to, to the extent there is now a pushback and states are, are holding them accountable for the ways in which they're using the money— they are they, they they suddenly want to engage in the democratic process to 
fend that off. That seems to be their main concern engaging in democracy is, is trying to maintain their ability to set U.S. policy without any kind of, kind of oversight. You said something there at the beginning of the question that I think is very important. Even if you don't own a single share of stock in the United States, none of these companies, you know, they could all fail and you'd be fine. You should still, as a consumer, and that's getting back to our core mission, be very concerned about this because the net effect is negative for really everybody. It's not just bad for these companies, although that is, and if you work at one of these companies, you should be concerned of what it's going to do to your job and, and, and the uh, uh, prospects for your company. But it's also going to raise costs for consumers in a huge way. We're already seeing that. They've, it's undoubtedly contributed to the inflation that we're seeing today because of the underinvestment in uh, mining and extraction, fossil fuel extraction, discovery. It's contributed to the energy crisis, which is a variable in, in the price of every single good and service that we buy. So even if, you know, the, the real, one of the real tragedies of this ESG scam is that even if you don't have a, you know, you don't have money with BlackRock, you don't have money investing in these companies, you have no voice even. You can't even call Larry and say, hey, I'm a client. Stop doing this. You're still affected by it as a consumer. Well, and, well, and, then, you have the, and then you have the proxy advisory firm. So when I was talking about Toyota, I do have to call ombudsman on myself. It wasn't BlackRock. It was Glass-Lewis. Right, right. Which is a proxy advisory firm, not, a, not an Well, and, and this is getting a little bit into the philosophical issues with it, but, but I think it's important to, to note this as well. You know, some people have defended this saying, well, this is free market capitalism. If, if a bunch of asset managers want to do this, then like because they're, they're like making money doing it doesn't make it capitalism, right? Like a lot of communists have gotten very rich over the years. So that's put that off the table for one second. In addition, the way capitalism is supposed to work in terms of in terms of investing, right, and, and, and the goods and services that, that come out of that process of risking capital to make new products, you, you're supposed to have people either themselves or, or trusting an investment advisor, investment manager, taking money, risking capital, investing in new products and services or existing products and services, but improving them, right? Like, so if, 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 you know, if you were to take ESG at its word, what should it look like, right? What should ESG investing look like? Well, it should look like a bunch of investments in, in new energy technology. And so you see a little bit of that. You see very little, but you do see some investments in solar panels and wind farms, some in I'd like to see more, but some in, in nuclear fission and nuclear fusion research, th that would be what you'd expect. But the vast majority of the ESG phenomenon, I'm talking like 99% of it, is going into ex buying up large swaths of existing companies like Exxon and Chevron and Toyota and telling them they need to get out, using that investment capital, quote unquote, to, to tell them that they need to get out of the business that they're already in that they know how to do, that they have customers that they're serving, and they need to get into your pr preference with no profit incentive. There's, this stuff is all more expensive, less, less profitable. It's worse for the consumer, right? It, it's, it's not shifting people's, it's not shifting the investment capital that's being risked. It's shifting the capital of the companies where it's already invested in both, not just physical capital, but also, you know, Toyota knows a lot better how to make an internal combustion engine that it does these EVs that aren't really working out that well, right? And so it is a huge misallocation of all of society's resources when we're doing this. If people want to disrupt the market, if they want to come in, I'm, I'm all for that. Great. Figure out fusion. Solve all of our energy problems for, you know, in, infinity years. Go use your own investment capital to do that. Don't buy up Exxon and tell them they need to get out of the job that they know how to do and into something they don't know how to do. That we are all worse off for you know, that gets at one of the one of the campaigns that I've seen that I think is is you know 
not only have I seen it ramp up over the last couple of years, but I think it's one of the most extreme, you know, you see this in the shareholder activism, like the resolutions side, and you see it in just the, the public, you know, pressure campaigns. It's, it's the, the push to get big banks to stop financing oil and gas projects, just sort of like, um, you know, underwrite them, whether, you know, it, and it just seems to me that, that, you know, where's, where's even the pretense of creating shareholder value there? It seems like that has been, that was something that was at least, you know, lip service was paid to that. But, you know, it, 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 my perception, just looking at this over the last few years, is that is that that pretense has been largely dropped. And it's really just become, you know, bald faced activism, except it's being undertaken through this through this corporate sector. And, and the, the stopping financing of new oil and gas projects is one of the more extreme examples of that, in my opinion. Yeah, and you bring up a, a good aspect to this as well. I, I mentioned that this ESG phenomenon is larger than just funds that have ESG on them. It's also larger than just the asset management. So you have some of the largest banks, really all the large banks in the United States, Bank of America most notably, but also Citi, J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, they have all joined a, a group called the Net Zero Bankers Alliance. And what that group is, is a group of the largest banks in the world who have agreed to coordinate their activities, to use their loan portfolios to push for net zero by 2050. So you, it, which, you know, it's been a while since I was in law school, but the owners, the major players in the industry all getting together to collude. Uh, there's a word for that. Um, uh, and we have laws against it. But for right now, uh, we'll focus on just sort of what they're doing. Um, the They're basically saying that they are both going to reduce their loans in certain sectors, like you said, oil uh, recovery and discovery, but also they're going to put restrictions on their loans in certain industries. So it's not just even fossil fuel. You also see this in ag, for example. They're telling farmers, hey, to get your farming is a heavy capital intensive activity. Farmers often have to do annual loans. They take out at the beginning of the season, pay back at the end of the season. What more and more farmers are finding now when they go to get their financing is that these banks that have signed up to this international agreement, this collusion between other market participants, is that they have to uh, abide by these new net zero restrictions in order to get the loan. And these restrictions are, are not small. They want them to move towards phasing out synthetic fertilizers. That might sound good to most people because the word synthetic kind of has a negative connotation. The only reason we are able to support 8 billion people on this planet is because we use synthetic fertilizer. Synthetic just means it uses the Haber-Bosch process to take natural gas and turn it into nitrogen fertilizer. It's the reason that most of us are alive today, right? If you phase that out, you will end up in a situation like Sri Lanka. That is what they did. Uh, they crashed their economy. They created a man-made famine, effectively, and, and they, that led to a coup d'etat and the prime minister of that, company, or of that country having to escape uh, in order to not be uh, killed by the people who are rightly angry at him for for destroying their economy, that is what these banks are now asking, uh, I, you know, ranchers and farmers uh, to basically move towards in order to get their their new financing. And it goes farther than that: aviation, concrete, uh, construction, mining. Uh, they are putting all these net zero. And so the the banks, just in the same way that the asset managers are using their at their assets under management to to uh, go around the ballot box and set national policy without having to face the electorate. The banks are actively engaged in the same thing, or at least the large ones. So, and the member, specifically the members of this net zero bankers. Alliance. So that I can, that is part of the ESG phenomenon, even though that isn't ESG investing. It's the same, it's the, it's the same idea. It's the same concept 
of pushing you know, U.S. environmental policy for the entire economy without ever having to face the electorate using the financial sector. So, uh, you know, we've mentioned very large names in finance in this discussion, uh, BlackRock, Glass Lewis, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. What can we do about it, <laughs> given the, the size of the, of the entities that are involved in ESG? Yeah, that's a great question. I always like to make sure we get to that part of it because you explain this whole you know, Rube Goldberg machine of all these fi- huge financial players and you think, okay, well, we're doomed. Nothing we can do to push back. And I definitely do not want to leave people with that impression because it's actually the opposite is true. Over the last uh, two years, we've seen, and, and we've tried to, to be a leader in this space, we've seen a huge pushback on BlackRock and the, and the banks, the other asset managers, and, and it really is working. Um, good news is most of what they're doing is illegal. Uh, it's a violation of the fiduciary duty. As I alluded to earlier, I believe it's a massive antitrust violation. We now have a number of state attorney generals who have launched investigations against the banks and the asset managers and the insurers who are engaging in this uh, for those reasons, looking at their violation, of their fiduciary duty and their antitrust violations. Um, and, a, and a lot of the major players are starting to have second thoughts. So the good news is that most of what these players are doing is already against the law here in the United States. It just wasn't being enforced for a number of different reasons. I think one, uh, obviously, this is a this is a uh, phenomenon that very much helps the left. So they're not going to normal people who are concerned about antitrust violations and too much yeah, power. Because like our, our our boss just got uh, just went up to the hill uh, to testify before Sheldon Whitehouse about all the evil dark money that was supposedly uh, preventing the solar panels from powering everything. I think was the was the general gist of the of the hearing. Right. And so, you, you know, the, the folks on the left are not going to enforce it because it's to their political benefit. Right. The whole thing was was built to, to benefit their political agenda. And folks on the right, I think, have been slow, slower than they should have been, because it's sort of it's it's clo- it's sort of a wolf in sheep's clothing because a lot of money companies, you know, because it's coming from the financial services industry, it has this imprimatur of like, well, that's the market. Well, that's so. So you're you know, somehow intervening in the quote unquote free market if you push push back on that. There's nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, massive players colluding to set U.S. environmental policy is not the free market. People violating their fiduciary duty to their clients is not the free market. And, and as we've mentioned, many of the players are state or other political actors. Correct. Like the, correct. A good number of them are on, government actors on, pushing this. Yeah. And there's a number of different. I, Get tuned to the weeds, but there's a number of different ways in which quid pro quo has been granted. I haven't even gotten into the whole China side of this. Larry Fink and BlackRock, for example, invest heavily in, in Chinese projects that they would never do here because of ESG regulations. And the net effect is that they are in investment flows are moving towards fossil fuel projects in China instead of the United States because of the uneven playing field. They don't apply the same ESG rules in China. In return for that, BlackRock and Larry Fink in particular have gotten a ton of quid pro quo uh, opportunities in China that other companies haven't gotten. So this isn't an issue. This isn't a situation where the, the quote unquote market, free market has arrived at these, uh, at these conclusions. There is government interference at almost every level. That said, now that we have seen a pushback, we've seen governors, treasurers, attorneys generals pushing back, this stuff is starting to fall apart. Just last month, the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, which is this, basically the same thing. It's the, it's the insurance agency saying we're not going to you know, insure new coal projects, that kind of thing. 
they got a letter from a coalition of, of state attorneys general saying, hey, according to your website, according to documents you have signed on your website, it looks like you're engaged in antitrust conspiracy. You tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. And within weeks, uh, almost half of the insurers have left that organization because they realized that somebody finally called their compliance attorney. Uh, and those people probably had a heart attack and told them to get out of this thing as fast as they could. And that's happening at the Net Zero Banking Alliance. That's happening with Climate Action 100. It's just that conservatives have sort of been lulled into a false sense of, of not security, but a false sense of like, hey, this isn't something we should really look at. Now that they're looking at the details of it, they're realizing. So that's, that's going to be replicated across uh, a lot of different, in a lot of different ways, depending on what kind of elected official you're talking about. But the important thing, I think, for consumers who may not you know, do business with BlackRock, rightly so, may not do business with Bank of America, rightly so, uh, but they still are citizens and they should very much feel uh, good about and I would encourage them to contact their state elected representatives and tell them that they really care about these issues. They want something done about ESG. They understand it hurts consumers, whether you're an investor or not. It also hurts investors, also hurts pensioners. It hurts farmers. It hurts uh, uh, factory owners. The only people made better off by this are Wall Street fat cats like Larry Fink at BlackRock and uh, far left megalomaniacs like Larry Fink at BlackRock. Every single other person in this country is hurt by this ESG scam. It's just, it's just a small group of people. And so we are vast majority. Uh, we just need to, need to have our will be, uh, be put into legislation. So uh, before we let you go, is there anything else you guys are working on that you'd like to promote to our listeners? Uh, if people would like to learn more about uh, BlackRock and the ways in which it's undermining their interests, they can visit us at aboutblackrock.com. That's aboutblackrock.com. We also just launched a new campaign to help people understand the ways in which Bank of America is attacking their interests. It goes farther than we talked a lot about the net zero stuff. But it also goes into the ways in which they're undermining our Second Amendment rights. They're in, you know, involving themselves in the abortion uh, issue and, and destroying our federalism. They can visit us at bankofunamerica.org. That's bankofunamerica.org. All right. Well, thanks again to Will Hild of Consumers Research for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.